Well, what is it? I don't know that I can explain anything to a preacher. I get that. What is the reason for the difference between you after night with fiction? And crowds come wherever you go. I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth, and I'm not getting any crowd at all. So here we have uh, this story uh, of a preacher, and he's at the feet of this actor searching for answers. He couldn't figure out why his sermons, in which he was preaching the essential truths, couldn't draw a crowd, yet this thespian could get up there and just say whatever, and people would be drawn to him regardless of what came out of his mouth. You know, I think, I believe at one point or another, we've all dealt with this sort of frustration. Just frustration that either nobody's listening, we've all dealt with this frustration. Maybe it's frustration with our walks with Jesus. Frustrations where we're going or not going with our lives. We have felt this level of frustration before, which you use to snap out of it. When you're that frustrated, where do you go? You know, as disciples, when we're frustrated, what inspires us to be better for God? My focus for today's sermon, maybe find some new tools for your toolbox, uh, new ideas, whatever, that will help continue in our lives to bring us back to God, especially when we're in these moments of frustration. So the title of my sermon this morning is Inspiration for the Broken. You know, in my opinion, the Bible is the most inspirational literary work ever written. I dare you to argue with me on that one. It won't end well. Amen, right? And I mention this because depending on your translation, all right, the word inspire may not exist in your Bible. For example, the NIV has the word mentioned, as far as I could tell, three times. Yet the ESV, as, again, as far as I could tell, has no mention of this word. And so when we get into, let's say, the, the NIV, and here's some of the references I saw. I, I saw it used in two different contexts. The first related to something that pushes. God says in Jeremiah 32:40, and I will inspire them to fear me. It's something he was going to push them to do. In 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, uh, verse 3, it says, and your endurance inspired by hope. Okay, you, you have endurance because you're inspired, something that is pushing you in this direction. In this context, inspire here is used to, uh, as something that is pushing someone forward. Okay, so that's the first time it's used. The second time refers to someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's only one mention. Hosea 9 talks about the inspired man. Yet in the ESV, it translates to a man filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so why is this fascinating? I'm sure I lost half of my audience at that moment. Amen. To be inspiring, the Word of God shows us how to do it. We must focus on being Spirit-led and Spirit-filled and pushing others towards God. And that is our calling as disciples of Jesus. And so before we go any further this morning, I, I have a question that I really want you to consider. 
And that question is, question is, are you inspired? Are you inspired? And, and this is a very important question. you got to understand. Because as disciples, when we need to be working hard, when we need to be going forward, we won't do that if we're not inspired to do so. Because we know at any moment, discouragement, it, it can totally hit. And it always hit. It always does. And if we're not prepared, it can be very difficult for us to snap out of it. To snap out of that real awkward state that we can oftentimes get into. So quite simply, we got to have things that inspire us. We got to. And maybe you think, okay, I'm inspired by God. Amen. How? How are we inspired by God? In what ways do you seek out that inspiration? Because here's the truth. You're not always going to feel inspired. Your team may not go 16-0 this year. Amen. They may, they may not. Okay? And you're going to have moments of frustration. It's going to happen. So if you don't have a place where you can turn or run towards God to find the answers, then there's going to be times in which you're just flat out floundering and you can't figure out why. So, so what is it? What is it that inspires you? And so for today's sermon, I just want to look at three different things that I believe should inspire us. Instead of trying to make you guess, I'm going to give you three things that I feel like it should inspire us. Maybe you're naturally inspired by one of these more than the other two, and that's fine. But I'm convinced that if we're going to have a healthy relationship with God, these are three things we've got to be inspired by. First thing is we've got to be inspired by love. Inspired by love. There are many, many stories of Jesus inspiring, inspiring others through his love and in, in how he interacted with people. In fact, I'll make the argument that every story of Jesus interacting with someone is a love story. Because Jesus truly cared for those individuals. He, he really did. He touched the leper. He, he cried with Mary. He even cooked a meal for Peter and the others. We're going to look at that one a little bit later. That's true love, okay? You're cooking a meal for somebody? Mm. You know, that, that's... It, you're cooking one of your best meals for somebody. That's true love. If you're at my house and uh, we're having ribs, uh, we like you. You get what I'm saying? We like you. That, I'll just leave it at that. And for me, it, it's one of the most effective ways to show love it, is through cooking. I have a buddy in San Diego that, that he's in the church. Uh, we grew up together. He ended up going to culinary school. And, and there are times I, I'd go over and sleep at his house and I'd wake up with a, with a fresh plate of stuffed French toast made from scratch. And I usually found myself staying there more than one night. Like, is he going to do this again? <laughs> and when that next morning came out and there was cereal, I'm like, I'm out. You know, I'm here for the food and the food only. Because I just, I felt loved. I felt taken care of in those moments. We are people that just need to be inspired by how much Jesus loves us. By how much Jesus loves us. And so let's look at this story in John chapter 21. In verse 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? 
No, they answered. What an embarrassing statement for a fisherman. You caught anything? No. Right? That's where they're at. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did that, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish. That guy got up. But a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire and burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus prepared a meal for him. Prepared a meal for him. Little background. So at this point, Jesus, he had, he had died and he had risen again and he would now presented uh, himself to the disciples. In fact, this was actually the third time in which Jesus had presented himself to the disciples. So Peter had seen Jesus already. And in those moments, we assume he's probably interacted with them a little bit as well. Yet, when he sees Jesus, when he sees him there on the shore, he jumps out of the boat and just starts running towards him. Makes sense. If it's someone you see all the time, it's like, hey, I'll, come. I'll be right there. Right? I'm coming. I, I'm just 100 yards away. i got to help with the fish here. You know, I, I'm coming. But that wasn't Peter's heart. Peter's heart was to get out of the boat and run. Why? I, I believe Peter was inspired by Jesus' love. He had betrayed him. Peter denied he'd even known him. Yet Jesus sought him out on a boat and showed him love. Think about the weight of that for a moment, okay? Not only did Jesus forgive Peter for what he had done, he sought him out, went looking for him to show him the depths of his forgiveness, but also the depths of his love even to go as far as preparing a meal for him right there on the shore. He wanted to let him know that he was forgiven and that he was loved. Jesus wanted to show Peter the full extent, again, of his love. Now think about it in your own context, okay? Think about the people that you feel like in your life have wronged you. We know we are called to forgive. And that's, as disciples, amen. We are called to forgive. But look what Jesus does. He doesn't just forgive to Peter and the others that betrayed him. Think about that just for a moment. Not just forgiveness, but an active, loving relationship to build and bond in unity. This is exactly what Jesus did. And look how Peter responds. He jumps out of the boat into the water. And he starts running or, or swimming. I don't know what he's doing there towards Jesus. You know, I thought about it for a moment. I wonder if Peter thought in that moment he was going to walk on water again. Why else would he put on his clothes to go run after Jesus? That makes absolutely no sense. When's the last time you're like, I'm going to jump in the water. Let me put more on as I dive in. It just doesn't make sense, right? So I thought about it. Maybe he thought he was going to do that again. Jesus' love inspired Peter to jump in the water like a crazy person and just run towards Jesus. People who feel inspired do crazy things for God. Do things that don't make sense to anybody else. You know, 
The opposite is also true of that statement. If we don't feel inspired by God's love, I believe we come, become comfortable with an uninspired life. And ultimately, if we're not careful, th- this could lead us to a place where we're just them to be at. Jesus' love towards Peter inspired him to be better. It, it inspired him to be different. It inspired him to jump out of the boat into the water, even though they were so close, and just run and embrace him. Jesus' love should inspire us to do the same. And so if it doesn't, I think that's something we got to think about. Something we've really got to consider. Because our response, I believe, should be the same. Inspired by love. You know, the second thing that I think we should be inspired with is number two, inspired by the truth. Inspired by the truth. You know, our image we often have of Jesus is, you know, you got Jesus carrying the lamb on his shoulders. Or, or even it's an image of Jesus sitting down, letting the little children come to him. It's peaceful. It's inviting. Yes, this is a view of Jesus. But this wasn't completely a full view of who Jesus was by far. Jesus was a man of passion. <laughs> he was a man of conviction. He was a man of truth. And as we'll see here in a minute, he was a man looking for a fight. In Luke chapter 12, verse 49, I have come to bring fire on earth. This is Jesus talking. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint am I under until it's completed? Do you think I came bring two against three? They will be divided, father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He got specific. He tells them plainly, did I come to bring peace? No, stop it. I did not come to do that. I came to stir up trouble and I came to pick a fight. In other places, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. This is a rally cry. This is a, you know, call to arms, let's go. And I just, I absolutely love how specific he gets here. Because you know he's teaching in front of people and he gets into this mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and you know he's got eyes on somebody. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. It's like, ooh, uh, I think he's talking to me. Yes, that's how you know the preacher is preaching at you when he gets very specific with your situation. We don't see a softer side of Jesus here. We see a Jesus who's standing for something. He's standing up for something. You know, I shared last week that the UNT students uh, had faced some pretty heavy persecution uh, last couple weeks. Uh, We were slandered. Uh, We were called a cult. And this was honestly something that weighed heavy uh, on me. I I lost sleep over it. And it it just, it it did. I was emotionally shook. I was. But you know, I thought about it. We must be doing something right because Satan ain't happy. He ain't happy. We got punched in the mouth, but we didn't go down. (laughs) And we're still here and we're smiling. We're smiling. So please continue to pray for us. Not that God will remove these hardships, no. But instead pray that we'll grow to be more faithful, be stronger men and women of conviction, And we'll be resilient as we grow closer to him. Because I think that's the ultimate goal. 
not to learn how to hide, but to learn how to connect deeper with God, especially when trials hit. Because these are the times in which we need more than ever to rely on him. In this passage, Jesus says he came to bring division. And he's not talking about disunity. He's not talking about it at all. He's talking about people making a decision to be completely loyal to him. And when that happens, that brings disunity. Because the truth is, when we do that, when we give our lives completely to Jesus, there will be people in our lives that are not happy because they don't want to live to that same standard. They'll say you're too committed. They may even say, as we've learned recently, you're part of a cult. But Jesus isn't looking for a part-time relationship with him. He's not. He wants all of you, especially because when he died, he gave all of himself to you. And that's what we're called to do. So how do we respond to such strong words? For me, I get pumped. Uh, you know, I just start jumping around. That's what I do. You just start bouncing a little bit. I'm just, I'm excited. It's like one of those movies where you've got the coach giving the, like, the rally cry speech at halftime of the big game. They're like, yeah, they're going out. I, I, for some reason, I think of the movie Little Giants. Just one time, right? I mean, that's, if you don't get that reference, I understand, right? But it's, it's, it's this rally cry moment, knowing that in all this, Jesus is leading the way, and you're not out there alone. And so it doesn't matter who's up against you because you've got Jesus walking in front of you. To be inspired by truth allows you to face whatever may come because you've got Jesus with you and you've got the word as your sword. You know, I think the last thing that I, I fully believe should inspire us is the cross. Inspired by the cross. For me, this is where the intersection of where love and truth meet. One of the top three most important moments in the history of the world. The other is when Jesus was born and when he rose from the dead. So he's got the top three, right? That is. We have four different accounts of Jesus' death. But I want to look at one, uh, the one in John here for a moment. John 19, verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first men who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and they found he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. It is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture they have pierced. See, while a person hung on the cross, they, they obviously were, were in pain and they struggled to breathe. And in order for them to breathe, what they would do is they'd have to push themselves up with their feet to be able to get to a position in which they could catch their breath. 
And so if the, the executioner or the soldiers wanted someone to die quicker, all they would have to do would be to break the legs because then they would be unable to push themselves up and they would suffocate uh, almost instantly. Yet at this moment, when they got to Jesus, they were certain he was dead. And the man who saw it, who brings testimony, many believe this is John. Uh, John was there with uh, Jesus' mother. Uh, we know that under action. Uh, here's your son. Here's your mother. We've seen that. And it says John testifies. He testifies for this. He saw it. Without a doubt, he saw Jesus die on the cross. And he saw Jesus die for each and every one of us. You know, I think at times in my life, I've had different things that partially motivate me uh, in my walk with God. Just, just little things that encourage me. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I, I was inspired by heaven. Well, okay, not heaven, but more like a fear of hell, right? Like, I just, I don't want to go there, so this is the other option. Okay, this is good for me at this place in life. And it was a good motivation for a while, but it does push forward as we continue our walks with God. But something that will always be permanent with me, and I believe it's always got to be permanent with us, is the cross. Looking at Jesus on the cross, because in that we see a Jesus who, who died in our place. Who died so we, as Josh and Catherine mentioned earlier, may have an opportunity, a chance to live for him. And th this is heavy. It is. So, so how do we respond? How, how do we respond to something like this? You know, I, plain and simple, I, I think we just need to be a people that stand for something. We stand for God. We stand for Jesus. We stand for love. We stand for truth. We stand for something. You ever listen to someone speak who's passionate about something? It's like you can't get them to be quiet. You try to leave the conversation, but they won't let you, right? I mean, they're just, they're so excited. And I'm, I am super guilty of this. You know, Kelly and I have the opportunity uh, about once a year to end up in going to Russia and, and be able to encourage the church. And you know that if Kelly and I have gone to Russia, the next at least three sermons will have something to do with Russia. Even though I don't want to talk about it, I will bring it into the lesson because, well, it's just, it's on my mind. You're, you're going to suffer, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. Amen. Because when you're, I'm so excited about Russia, you should be excited. You're like, I don't care. I don't, I don't at all care. I don't ever see myself going there. I'm like, why? You should. It's like, no. I, you know, but when someone's that passionate, they draw people to them, right? There, there's a level that they draw people to them. So here's my question. How passionately do we talk about what Jesus has done for us? You know, at the beginning of the sermon, I started with a story. I'm going to read the first part again. There's a tale told of an actor named McCready. At one point, an eminent preacher once said to him, I wish you would explain to me something. Well, what is it? I don't know what I can explain anything to a preacher. What's the reason for the difference between you and me? The preacher asked. You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction. And the crowds come wherever you go. I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth, and I'm not getting any crowd at all. McGrady's answer was this. Well, it's, it's quite simple, really. I can tell you the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were truth. You present your truth as though it were fiction. This idea that the preacher didn't even believe what he was selling. The preacher lacked passion for his own cause. 
Are we inspired to speak? And when we do speak about it, do people believe you? Because we've seen that so many times. People talk about things, we're like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're clueless. And we can tell usually, not by what it said, but by how it's said. There's a lack of passion. There was a lack of desire and belief in what they're talking about. Are we inspired to speak with passion about what Jesus has done for us? Jesus has set the example. He has shown us how to love. And he's shown us how to love through forgiving us, even though we denied him with our actions. He's showed us truth. He's shown us this truth by allowing us to face the trials that may come so we can rely more heavily on him. And you know, he, he's shown us the full extent of both these things by giving up everything and by dying on the cross for us. Jesus has set an example for us to follow. And now it's our turn to not just be inspired, but to also inspire the world around us. Amen. Thank you.